A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello, I'm Tim Farron and welcome to the show which delves into the mucky business of politics through the eyes of Christians. You might think that politics is tainted by compromise and by sin. Well, of course, you would be right. But then again, so is everything else. And I think we should be praying in an informed way for our brothers and sisters who operate in and around the world of politics. Today, we're going to be joined by political journalist Rob Hutton. Rob's worked for much of his career within Parliament, watching this mucky business of politics right up close. We'll get his reflections on that, as well as reviewing the first few weeks of our new government and new prime minister. But first, today I want to talk about authority. Looking at the news over the last week, it is easy to conclude that our new prime minister is struggling with her authority. When members of your own cabinet start disagreeing with your policies in public, and when you're told that you won't get your budget proposals past your own MPs in Parliament, things are not looking so good. Authority is linked to power, but it is subtly different. It's a quality that leaders have that enables them to effectively exercise power. It's the credibility to achieve your aims. So what does it mean to have authority? Well, here are some thoughts. Firstly, it is tied up with integrity, where the leaders are trusted, to keep their promises and do what they say they will do. Secondly, it is linked to competence and wisdom. Leaders who display these characteristics in their decision-making will retain the authority to lead. And thirdly, those in authority are supposed to use it in the interests of all. Our leaders have the power to increase benefits to the poorest, to cut funding for public services, or to make a hundred other choices that will make the lives of our citizens better or worse. And this responsibility should not be held lightly. And the country has demonstrated in the last couple of weeks that some decisions are simply too unpalatable, even for a new prime minister and chancellor to take. In a democracy, there is accountability for leaders. And so the loss of authority can become visible pretty quickly. Of course, as Christians, we look to God as the ultimate authority in our lives and over the whole earth. The Bible tells us that God spoke the universe into existence and that he created human beings to wield and express his authority on earth. In Genesis chapter one, God says, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. He told the first humans to fill the earth and subdue it to create a good society that honoured him and cared for all creation. It all started really well, but we know what happened next. In the words of Paul in Romans 1 verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things. Instead of ruling as God intended, we humans started to abuse our authority to serve ourselves, to promote our own interests and to define for ourselves what was right and wrong. When Jesus burst into our world, he came to save us from the consequences of the mess we have created. But he also came to show us what it truly looks like to rule as a human. He served others, washed their dirty feet, sought out the poor and the outcasts, and showed us how to love our enemies as well as our friends. His leadership was radical and unexpected. 
It certainly confused the disciples. In John 13, we see Peter's uncertainty as he first refuses to let Jesus wash his feet and then, in a fit of enthusiasm, asks him to wash his whole body. Jesus gently explains in verses 15 and 7 to 17, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Jesus showed us a completely different model of authority to the one we are used to seeing in our politicians. His leadership was full of integrity. He demonstrated his ability to keep his promises, his wisdom, and he made himself accountable to God by obediently going to the cross. He could easily have sought to shore up his own power or seek his own glory. The disciples expected him to lead a revolution against the Roman occupiers, but instead he turned the concept of power upside down. In Jesus, we have a perfect model and a massive challenge for all of us who exercise authority over others. In response, let's pray for the government, for Liz Truss, for the wise exercise of their responsibility to serve others, for integrity in leadership to emerge from the current chaos. And let's pray for all the Christians who serve in politics today that we will be able to live up to the example set by Jesus with help of the Holy Spirit, to use our authority well and transform our society for the better. And finally, given that you listen to this podcast, if you are inspired to get further engaged with politics yourself, you might be interested to read my new book. It's out next month. It's entitled A Mucky Business, Why Christians Should Get Involved in Politics. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Well, so to our guest this week, political journalist Rob Hutton. Before we get stuck into the mucky businesses of journalism and politics, Rob, tell us a little bit about your own faith, how you became a Christian. Um, a very boring story. I, I became, <laughs> became a Christian with a teenage youth group um, and uh, haven't really managed to shake it since then. And so having become a Christian, you you go and enter eventually the world of journalism, but that wouldn't be an immediate uh, process. How how did that come about? What drew you so into I, When I, I, I went to university in Edinburgh and I actually, I wanted to be a film critic. Um, and so I sort of wandered down to the student paper and I really never left. Um, uh, and sort of started off doing film reviews and then got into news reporting and just loved doing news reporting, loved reporting on student politics, uh, loved all of it. By the time I think I was at the start of my third year, my director of studies sat me down and said, look, you can either get a decent degree or you can do the journalism thing. And I, I said, well, to be honest, I, I think I want to do the journalism thing. And he said, that's fine. <laughs> so, um, and uh, and that's, <laughs> that explains my poor degree. But um, uh from Edinburgh, I went and studied in Glasgow. And then uh, after that, I, I moved down to London to work for the Daily Mirror um, and worked there for about five years, uh, worked briefly for the Financial Times. And then what I really wanted to do was write about politics and basically impossible to get a job as a political journalist unless you're already a political journalist. Mm. So I... Uh, when this weird Bloomberg outfit that was just starting up came along and sort of said, well, we need someone to come and write about this stuff. Um, uh, I went and worked for them um, and stayed there for 16 years through 
a large number of referendums and <laughs> prime ministers and financial crises and uh, wars and Brexit um, and uh, it, actually before COVID I had decided it was time to leave and do something else and COVID happened which slightly delayed my plans but in two years ago I left there and went to write for a, a magazine called The Critic where I'm a the parliamentary sketch writer for a couple of days a week and I write books and that's it. So Rob you, you um you are one of those creatures who we know as a a, a lobby journalist now for yes. our, you might not know what one of those is what is one of those? <laughs> It technically, it means you're allowed to stand in members' lobby. I don't even know if you know the rules for this. I'm allowed to stand in members' lobby. I'm allowed to, to attempt to catch the eyes of MPs. I'm not allowed to take notes. I have to keep my hands in my pockets um, <laughs> as a sign of respect to show that I'm not taking notes. Ah. Um, and uh, it's it basically means we're the people who report on politics. I mean, there are very few political reporters now who aren't lobby correspondence it means we go to um the, the twice daily briefings that the prime minister's spokesman has um there i mean there is there are so many myths around lobby correspondence basically it means you're you're a political correspondent um and it, we in my case happily it means i could sort of get to sit up in the press gallery i have a little desk um up in the attic and uh watch watch what's going on but i guess a lot of it is about as you said, really, hanging around, if that's not too pejorative yes, a phrase. No, it's absolutely. <laughs> There's a lot of hanging around. And I, I see you and your tribe um, in various places, not just in members' lobby, uh, in, intercepting um, not unwilling parliamentarians who are willing to have a chat with you, and then you make stuff out of that. I guess there is a little bit of potentially you uh, writing about the tidbits that people give you, uh, to what extent does that count as gossip? And to what extent is that in any way challenging as a Christian to uh, trade off, if you like? <laughs> so, it, 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 I mean, well, so I've just come back from Tory party conference where it is not difficult to find people who will tell you gossip about things that are going on in government, about people at the top of government. Uh, some of it we would say was very strictly, you know, some of it, uh, is is very strictly relevant to what's going on. Obviously, somewhere around last week, word was going around that say they were changing their minds on the new permanent secretary at the Treasury. Some of it is uh, completely scurrilous, um, and it, you know, it's about people's sex lives and that kind of thing. And it's also not difficult, especially at the last party conference, not difficult at all to find people who are being unpleasant about uh, people that they work with and saying nasty things and um and a large part of my job is to not discourage that um <laughs> <laughs> sort of uh to be a to be a listening ear um and that is difficult i mean i think probably one of the reasons why i stayed at Bloomberg was it was the more respectable end of of all of that kind of thing we we really weren't sort of writing about people's private lives um uh you know it was it was much more sort of what's going to happen to the government and policy focused and it's the kind of stuff that you could defend in church. Mm. <laughs> um but uh 
but it is sort of my job to know the stuff, even yeah. if we're not reporting it, because sometimes, because some, some of this stuff does matter. Mm. I mean, actually, at a, I, I, you know, as you know, if somebody's marriage is in trouble, actually, that does affect how they behave as a as a as an MP or a minister. It, it sort of um, there are there there is all sorts of unreported stuff that helps to understand things that have happened over the last couple of years. And I, I mean, I sort of, I don't know that I have successfully nailed that from a spiritual point of view, what, what is the right thing to do? Um, I think obviously it's my job to listen. Ultimately, I think I decided generally it's, it's not my job to pass it on. Um, I think if you were to read my sketches about Boris Johnson, I made quite a lot of jokes about his private life, um, not in the sense of gossip, but just in the sense of this is a man who has a number of children that even he may not know. Um, and because I just thought that because I just thought that was massively relevant to who he was, that's the kind of person that he is. Um, uh, but. No, it's really difficult. It's really, really difficult. And oh, and actually, almost when when someone says something massively disloyal, do you say, "Go on, tell me more," or do you say, "Look, you really shouldn't say that. You're on the team." <laughs> <laughs> so, sort of, um, play for the team, man. Um, I, so I mean, you know, look, I'm not. I, there, there are there are much better political journalists than me out there. Certainly, in the sense of people who got got better and more exciting stories um uh, and yes I, I, you do have this problem i remember sort of sitting down for lunch with an mp and they said tell me all the gossip and i was just like i, I really i'm the last person <laughs> to, to ask because you know because I'm, I'm so naive that things sort of pass me by um i i <laughs> so um yeah, no, I, I, it's, it's a, it's a massive problem, and, uh, and I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know that anyone. I think it's, I think there is one way to say, look, just our job is to suck it all in mm. and to pass on what we think is relevant, mm. and that's probably the right answer. I think that, I think that if you're doing that as a Christian and you're not slightly thinking, you know, how do I feel about this? You know, I think you need to be asking yourself that question all the time. Mm. Even if the answer is like, well, I'm going to carry on doing it today. A mucky business with Tim Farron. We're speaking to political journalist Rob Hutton. Rob, on the upside, from your perspective, I guess you know we talk about our podcast is called a mucky business, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of dirt in political life of various kinds. I, I guess as a lobby journalist, you're there to shine a light and actually to reveal some of the darker things, which actually might in some small way, go towards cleaning up our politics or making it a, a less mucky business than it would have been otherwise. Yes, I think that's right. So that is the defence, isn't it? That that actually one of the things that keeps people honest is the fear of being found out. And we all know that in our in our own lives, that there, there are definitely things that we might do if we were certain we would get away with it, that we don't do just because we fear we wouldn't get away with it. And that may not be you know that may not be the best possible motive for doing the right mm. thing but it does help to keep us honest yeah. um 
and and I'm grateful for that. And I think that's biblical, actually. I, th- I think you can completely mm. see a sort of look, just have somebody looking over your shoulder when you're doing the accounts or whatever. Mm. It it will just protect you from temptation. Um. So uh, so having a, a a robust and sort of probing media definitely helps. I think if you look in if you look at countries where where the media has decided that some things are off limits or indeed where the media is under control, you don't get less corruption. Yeah. You know, there is, a, there is an awful lot of corruption in the Chinese state, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's quite a lot of corruption in countries where the press get too close to um, politicians. And look, there are that's another battle because you want to stay in with your sources, you work long hours here you find that there are people you like people you get on with and at the same time you know sort of uh how do you at some point you're gonna have you may have to turn them over i think there are very few very very few mps who i would say are actually close friends maybe one one of my uh sort of older wiser hands when i was coming into this used to say don't entertain them in your house and you know, don't don't go to theirs. Just have have us have just the understanding that at some point I might have to write a story about you. Yeah. And and uh, and if I'm going to have to write a story about you, I, it would be better if there were some level of professional relationship. Yeah. Some boundaries. Absolutely. Now then, um, you mentioned earlier that you spent uh, some of last week at Conservative Party conference. <laughs> Um, what on earth was that like? How does it compare to the Labour conference before it and to previous Tory conferences? It was the weirdest, maddest Tory conference I've ever, I've been to a lot now, um, and it was the strangest. I mean, so the, the odd thing was that the previous week, Labour conference has been sort of quite infighty and, you know, sort of going around the various fringe events that aren't on the main stage, looking for senior people saying something rude about uh, other senior people and there was almost none of that at Labour conference and sort of the, the better, word, better word the people in suits are back yeah. um, and you go to the the, the, the sort of this area of every conference where sort of corporate sponsors can come along and um, and tout their wares and there's a very definite sense that a whole load of businesses have decided they need to start talking to the Labour Party again because they mm-hmm. might well form the next government and it's interesting actually because all, all of that sort of all of those bookings will have predated uh, the explosion of the trust government, but um, there it was. It was it was tangible. This sense and, and this, this sense among among the the conference attenders that oh, you know, we might form the next government. Time to time to get into line. I mean, a bit like the the Lib Dem conference of twenty ten when you guys suddenly found yourselves in government. Yes. <laughs> this sort of this sort of weird moment where everyone's kind of like, I think I might have to put a tie on. Yes. <laughs> um, Tory conference, on the other hand, was just a hot mess. Um, a, there were it, it was literally sort of MPs coming up to you to unburden themselves with with um, their their difficulties, what's going on in the government, sort of suddenly sort of realizing uh, also. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff about this that is. The, the the world's smallest violin plays for MPs in trouble, okay, who think they're going to lose their seat. But if you just bought a house in your seat, mm. you know, and you take it, and, and by the way, taken out a mortgage on that house, 
and you're just watching the mortgage rates go through the sky and you're thinking, well, I might not even be MP for this place in two years' time. Yeah. Then, you know, th- those are, those are, those are, these are, these are human beings. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so there's just a, a lot of anxiety and people thinking, oh my goodness, what, what, what's happened? And I think really not quite understanding, not, not, not understanding, you know, how did, how did we get into this mess? And, and for MPs, this is our first week back after a few weeks off of the Queen's passing and the party conference season. And really for Liz Truss, who became Prime Minister just uh, almost 48 hours or so before the Queen passed away, this is kind of her first proper week in mm. the job. Um, I, what are her priorities now? Is it anything more than to just survive? I think it's, I think it's almost entirely just survive. The only way that she survives is if she can restore trust in her government, which is a weird, mm. intangible thing, but it basically... And we we sort of we talk about the markets, and obviously, having worked for Bloomberg for a long time, I have possibly some mm. insight into this. The, whatever the animal spirits of traders are at the moment, they don't trust the government. They don't trust the government to behave sensibly, and in some way, she has got to get that trust back. And I don't know that you can do it. Actually, I think somehow. Maybe people have just every, everybody sort of forms these first impressions, mm. and the markets sort of the the whatever the markets aren't aren't a thing. They're a, although they aren't one mind. There's lots of minds and so on. But there seems to be a consensus there that this is a government that that is not reliable on public spending. And can you get that back? We saw it. We saw it yesterday with stuff at the Treasury. We've got Treasury questions this afternoon. That's going to be really interesting. Yeah. Uh, but it's all about trying to trying trying to redeem yourself, trying to restore trust. Mm. Well, we could go on and on, Rob. But I we think it comes to the end of this uh, fascinating uh, turning of the tables, where I'm asking you questions. Yes. Um, for, <laughs> it's been a blessing <laughs> Rob thank you for what you do I think it's a good thing even if I'm occasionally on the wrong end of it and I'm very grateful to you for giving up your time and I know all the listeners are as well Rob thanks ever so much pleasure thank you each week we give you the opportunity to ask any question you'd like about this mucky business of politics Now, it might be how an aspect of this world impacts us as Christians who work within it. Or maybe there's a particular issue that you're struggling to make sense of. Well, I'd love to hear from you and attempt an answer. So please drop me an email to farron at premier.org.uk and we'll do our best to get to it. Well, this week, Matt in London sent in this question. As a Christian and a blue Labour supporter, I sometimes find myself at odds with my party's views on abortion and same-sex marriage. And so I generally shy away from discussing those issues, especially as I feel there are more important issues to dwell on, such as homelessness, prison reform, and others. However, I often seem to find myself at odds with Christian brothers and sisters on these social issues of abortion and LGBT rights, and can find myself becoming very judgmental against them. Can you please share your experience of this and any insights you may have? Well, Matt, it's a fantastic question. I think the first thing I'd say is, if you're a Christian then you are living uh, with a worldview that is countercultural to whichever party you find yourself in. 
just as it is the case that whichever era one is living in, if you're a Christian, you will be living counterculturally. So how do we deal with the fact that the people around us perhaps don't agree with us on some of these key issues that come out of becoming a Christian? I think the first thing that I'd say is let's remember what our goal is. You see, politics, like I guess everywhere else, it's a mission field. And it's a particularly interesting one because it's full of people who are looking for answers and think that they might have found them in the political viewpoints that they currently have. So you call yourself a, you know, a supporter of blue Labour, a, a Labour supporter, but with maybe it's right to say some socially conservative views arising from being a Christian. I'd ask you to think about the fact that we're not as Christians in the kind of company we keep necessarily trying to win arguments. We're trying to win a hearing, which means that what we do perhaps will be all about trying to draw people into considering Jesus and considering the gospel. Sometimes having a blazing row about one of these hot button issues just isn't the way to do it. Maybe we might encourage people to think that if there is an almighty God, then you might expect him to make you feel uncomfortable or disturbed about some issues and let them then think that through themselves. But then let's point them to Jesus about who he is, about the promises he made, about the claims he made, and about how realistic and rational it is to put your faith in him. I think we're more likely to succeed in those circumstances and be salt in the world in which we've been placed, in whichever party, whichever situation, if we do that, rather than perhaps just looking to have blazing rows about those controversial issues. If you have a question for Tim, email farron at premier.org.uk. Well, as we get to the end of our time together this week, let's close in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we first of all want to bring to you the people of Ukraine. We ask for your protection of them against the murderous assault of um, Putin's weapons. Uh, we pray for peace and we pray for justice also. Um, that evil will not go unpunished and uh, that you would bring an end to this war, but you would do so justly. Father, we pray for our political class, for those people who make decisions that affect the lives of every one of us. As the markets are in turmoil and the impact on mortgages, on savings, on pensions, on benefits, on the prices of things in the shops at the petrol pump are being so uh, seriously affected, we ask that you would protect the people of this country um, and that you would uh, meet their daily needs. We pray also that you turn people to you at this time of uncertainty, of chaos and of need. Lord, we thank you for journalists who work in and around the mucky business of politics, shining a light. We pray that they would act with uh, integrity, um, but that they would also be fearless about exposing the truth so that we might have a country which is free of corruption and where openness is something that we can celebrate. We thank you for them. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this week's show. Don't forget you can catch up on past episodes which feature interviews with party leaders, former government ministers and MPs from all the major parties. Just search for A Mucky Business on your chosen podcast provider or head to premierchristianradio.com forward slash a mucky business. 